Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode nine on Thirst for Knowledge Podcast. I'm James Evers. And I'm Justin. And I'm Seth Tardis. Today on the show, we have a good friend of mine, Mike Niedlik. And uh, today we are going to be talking about sports nutrition. Um, this was a super, super fun episode. I really, really enjoyed this one. Had a lot of fun. Yeah, um, me too. Thanks, thanks, Mike, for coming out. Big shout out. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to him again. Uh, there's there's so many questions. So, um, so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, uh, enjoy the show, guys. Stick around for the end, and we'll have some uh, fun facts and all that jazz for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Enjoy. 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 What are we drinking? Alright. What are we drinking? What are, what am I drinking? What are you drinking? I'm drinking a Jack's Abbey Citra Brow. It's a dry hopped uh, Citra Lager. Figured I'd choose this in honor of uh, our guest today, uh, Mike Niedlik. Did I say that correctly? You did. Whew. Yeah. Nice. That's a good one. Um, we both are... Uh, we both went to graduate school in Framingham State University, and of course, Jack's Abbey is located right behind there. Um, great, great brewery. Tasty, tasty lagers. I was actually I at, like it, man. at uh, Wyman's, where I go get beer. There's like a whole thing, and they're called Framinghammers. Yeah. Have you seen those? Yes. Yeah. I, haven't, yeah. I haven't had any of them, but I saw them. Yeah, Fram- so, framing hammers or yeah, whatever. It's, it's a Baltic porter, and they do other variations of it where uh, they... Put it in different barrels, or add different adjuncts to it. Yeah, to, yeah. Got like a s'mores, a PB and J. Yeah, sounds good. good. Yeah, I'm drinking Helix 1.5. It's your double Helix and your regular <laughs> Helix mixed together. It's a nice average six percent alcohol. I hope. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, can't complain. That that's that's good. Mike, what do you got? What do you have? It was poured for me, and I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. So, so what did you pour? <laughs> yeah, Mike's drinking a uh, little hell, which is my Hellas Lager. Ah, yeah. oh, shit! Yeah. I haven't tried that one yet. Yeah, it's. I just um, actually tapped it a couple of days ago. Uh, it was brewed in early January, and it was lagered for about five or six weeks. So it's pretty clear. Uh, it is a crispy boy, if you will. Okay, <laughs> it is very good. Yes. I like it. Nice. All right. Yeah, All right. I'm drinking a Midas Touch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, weird! Weird. Where'd you get one of those? I don't know, man. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, uh, History of Beer Part 2, baby. <laughs> mm. Oh, man. Um, yeah, like I said, my, our guest today, Michael Niedlik. Um, thanks for coming on, man. This is this is awesome stuff. Um, me and Mike, we went to graduate school for dietetics at Framingham State University. Um, shout out to the Incretans. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. So, you know. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is good stuff. Today, our topic, we wanted to... I figured we'd bring Mike on. Um, you know, he's he's sort of like this expert wizard with pathways of human physiology, and, and he has a pretty, I think he has a pretty strong, comprehensive understanding of nutrition, with especially with his background in sports. Um, you are, I mean, go ahead and just sort of say what your credentials are and sort of give us a little background, man. Yeah, so like Justin, I also have a master's in nutrition, registered dietitian. Uh, but I also have a uh, certified strength and conditioning specialist. Yeah. How so, long have you been doing that? Oh, over five years at this yeah. point. And this is your own business? Yep. You so, have your own side business? Yep. It's called oh. Physique Evolution. Okay. Yep. 
And so what do you mainly, fo- do you have a focus or is it, what do you do there? It's a mix. It's the majority I would say are wellness focused. So there tends okay. to be some athletes, uh, gen pop individuals who are just trying to gen pop, is gen pop. Prison? <laughs> it is. It is. It's, the cor- it's the courtyard. <laughs> okay. Or just, you know, they're, they're looking to not be sedentary, improve, you know, some capacity, uh, improve themselves in some capacity. Yeah, man. So we'll work together on, you know, exercise, whatever that may look like for them, uh, nutrition. And you just kind of let them sort of guide what they want, what their goals are. And you just sort of you're just there as like, you know, really kind of show them the way and sort of coach them along. Yeah. So a lot of times people don't actually have a clear idea of what their goal is. They just kind of have this abstract, you know, thought of what they might want. Right. And then they describe that and. Part of what I do is, you know, helping to narrow that down for them. Sure. Um, and then, you know, recommending exercise and nutrition that will get them there smoothly. Okay. So. Um, and you've also have some experience um, competing. Yeah. So I, I have competed in natural bodybuilding. Uh, I did that the first go around in 2012 and my most recent in 2015. Okay. Not quite sure when the next round will be. So. No. I uh, sometime I don't I don't have a date. Okay. But they usually take a little bit of time to recover from to get better. So there's usually a few years in between. For sure. Dang, yeah. half far in between. Yeah. I'm getting like super swole and then you're just sore all the time. <laughs> That's the goal. Yeah. yeah. Super swole. I got a question for that. Um, do you guys like pump up in tons of sugar right before you get up to get those veins popping? Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? Because I think I saw that as a thing. Yeah, everyone has kind of their own sh- like show day approach. Um, but in general, yeah, higher carbohydrates, uh, they will give you a fuller look because your muscles get filled with glycogen. A uh. um, little bit of you know sodium and fat right before you go on will help with vascular- vascularity. Yeah, get those veins pumping. Mm. Mm. You want to puff up a little bit. I a saw bit. like a bodybuilding documentary in like they're like right behind the curtains ready to go on these guys are like scarfing down like uh like snickers and sodas and stuff and it's like they say it like gets your veins to pop or something yeah that's pretty common (laughs) yeah it's it's right it's just like you described it is right behind the curtain yeah (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it's a candy bowl really what i might start bodybuilding that sounds amazing i've done some shows uh on halloween weekend so they'll just have like a trick-or-treat bowl that's amazing and guys are just like eating like are they trying to like open in those little ones like the little bite-sized ones like ah yeah they're, yeah, they're always the small ones because they're cheap uh, you know, they don't want to buy the big ones they're yeah. like about oh. to fucking destroy them to get yeah. them open yeah because at that point everyone's been dieting for like six nine just months plus extreme God. cutting yeah it's it's controlled starvation so yeah, yeah. I'd like to, I want to get into a little bit more of that later Mm -hmm. on down the road. It's fascinating, man. Like some of these extreme cuts with, depending on the type of sport you're at, whether it's bodybuilding, wrestling, um, you know, cage fighting, whatever it is. I mean, trying to make weight or, or however your approach is, man, it it can be pretty damn extreme, right? Yeah. So bodybuilding in particular, um, it's not viable long-term and it's not necessarily the healthiest thing. Right, um, but if you you can go about it in better ways, okay. and if you kind of understand all the, you know, the ramifications of it, you yeah. can do it, you know, safely. For sure, yeah. That's weird because I always thought they ate a crap ton of food. It in the off season. In the off season, yeah. So bodybuilding is different from most other sports in the sense that, like, in season is when you're actually like 
dieting down for a show and then the off season you might not have a show scheduled but that's when the bulk of your training actually occurs. Oh, so you're bulking up eating like a shitload of chicken and eggs and all that stuff if those are the foods you like <laughs> sure uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to well, be I those mean, particular like, ones those guys like shoveling shoveling down meals as fast as they can because they get like 12 in a day kind of thing yeah so there's a lot of different thoughts on it yeah um, there are some people who eat a ton of a ton of meals per day and you know these yeah. are all little niches that we might touch on at some point but a lot of people think that more meals through di- throughout the day improves your metabolism it stokes your metabolic rate but that's not true oh shit um and from actually a muscle building standpoint um fewer meals it might actually be better somewhere in like the three to five range gotcha mm-hmm. okay so we're we're diving right into sports nutrition man um so I mean, I guess where do, where do we begin? Where do we take this? Well, where did you begin at first? Why why nutrition for you? Yeah, so it kind of started. It started in undergrad. I just started lifting. Yeah. And with no clear no clear goal or outcome, it was just something to do that I enjoyed, and it kind of snowballed. Took some type of competitive shape, and yeah. I'm just the type of person that wants to know more about everything, like the ins and outs. I hear you. So I started learning more about exercise physiology and then more about nutrition, really started to have more questions than I was getting answered, particularly about nutrition. So I was like, well, might as well go study it. And that's, <laughs> right. and that's what I did. <laughs> so what were you doing in your undergrad? So my undergrad was actually completely different. Okay. Uh, it was in criminal justice and psychology. Oh, all right. All right. Did, did you actually complete that or did you switch to go into nutrition? No, I did complete it. Okay. Uh, and then I spent a few years after that um, working in a job that was related to that mm. and then quickly realized that my passions were elsewhere. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It seems to be a common theme <laughs> in, uh, you know, people in our generation anyways. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then that become, that gained some interest, started taking classes. And then, I mean, next thing you know, you're diving in pretty hard and down the nutrition route. Yeah. That's, um, that's pretty much exactly how yeah, it went. I mean, I don't, I don't do anything half speed. <clears throat> That's just my personality. So if I get interested in something, I want to know everything there is. And the more I learn, yeah. I end up finding out that some of my questions get answered. There's a lot more that haven't been answered. And then a lot of times, some of those questions don't have answers at the moment. Mm-hmm. Right. So then to me, that's fun. But, yeah. And that's crazy how the more you learn about something, the more you realize you don't know that much, you know? Yep. There's yeah. more questions than answers. Exactly. So yeah. where do we start with, I mean, what's the basics? What do we know about sports nutrition? Where do we begin? Yeah, so I guess the, you know, the, the foundation, if you will, would be, you know, making sure that you're eating enough to match your goals. So if, you, if your goals are, you know, to, to lose weight, to lose fat, whether it's to maintain or to build muscle, you need to eat an appropriate amount to fuel that. Sure. So what we're talking is calories. So if you're trying to maintain, you need to be in a caloric balance. So that just means that your intake and your caloric output, it's a wash. If you're trying to build muscle, you need to be in a caloric surplus, taking in more calories than you're burning, and in a deficit, the, office, uh, the opposite, so that you can actually lose fat. Okay, so if you're in a calorie deficit, meaning you're taking in calories, less calories than what you're burning, right? Um, you can't build muscle, you or you have a more difficult time of building muscle because you're in a catabolic state. Yeah, it's it's very difficult. Um, there's really uh, three scenarios where it's where it's very it's doable and not not overly difficult, okay. and that's someone who's like 
incredibly novice who has you know no training experience uh someone who's obese or someone who's on anabolic steroids okay that would that would make that would make sense that last <laughs> Those one the three ways to gain muscle without eating a lot of food <laughs> Yeah, so you can in those three scenarios. It's check, check, check. <laughs> yeah, so why a novice, Jack, dude? Why a novice? Like, what happens physiologically with a novice mm-hmm. who's just started out resistance training, weightlifting? Why are they able to build muscle so quickly without while being without really having to pay attention to their calories or even being in a deficit? Well, they. I mean, they can still pay attention to their calories and being in a surplus is definitely going to make things smoother. For sure. Um, but I, th- I think what you're asking is why can they do both more easily than another, than someone who's more trained? Yeah. And that's because once you become more trained, there are physiological changes that happen um, that make your body more efficient at certain tasks. So in terms of like muscle building, if you think about it, like you're a sponge, your body has no reference point. So something, even if it's very little, is more than you were already doing. So your okay. body is just very... Uh, it's very open to accepting a new stimulus to improve. Okay. So at what point do you pass that novice stage, if you will? Yeah, it's different for everyone. Um, you know, their their training age, their actual age, you know, how vigorously they're training. Uh, but usually for most people, it's somewhere between like six months to a year and a half. Oh, okay. oh wow. That's, that's a pretty, yeah. That's longer than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most people will... You know, there's a like an informal term, beginner gains, yeah. and that's where people see a lot of rapid progress initially, and that's if you're training pretty consistently, you can expect that within like the first six months, right? Mm. And that's where you see a lot of a lot of strength improvement, um, a lot of muscle building. Now, so. is that all strictly muscle building, or is there is there other things going on physiologically that's sort of happening? In, that's making that progress faster or easier for the novice yeah so initially there's a lot of neurological learning so in order for your in order to lift something there has to be motor unit recruitment so all your muscles have muscle fibers that uh, innervate through your nervous system and if you've ever seen someone lift weights initially they almost look like a baby deer on ice (laughs) they're just moving around there's very uh they're very uncoordinated stuff doesn't move very smooth if they're using you know two separate hands say for like dumbbells they might they might not move in sync right Uh, and that's because they have no they haven't learned those motor patterns Mm. the more they do that the more you learn those motor patterns your uh, muscle fibers learn to fire in sync so a lot of the initial strength gains are actually neurological improvements and neurological efficiency that's really neat man that's super fascinating it makes a lot of sense yeah you put it that way though Yeah. yeah yeah and then that's why even as a more advanced trainer um strength is actually more of a skill so to usually become stronger you need to be training at heavier loads higher intensities so that your body can adjust and neurologically learn how to recruit muscle fibers the most and in the most efficient ways mm. Mm. Ooh, okay cool so at that point you've already you've already learned all that stuff right like you're, you're past that point of the deer and the ice now you've you've got good form now it's making it the most efficient it can be yeah so you can always improve there's always motor learning going on um but initially, there's a there's a great de- a great degree of it, mm. so it's happening, you know, in a very pronounced way. And then, as that tapers down, actual muscle hypertrophy, so muscle growth increases. Mm. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, how does nutrition play a role in performance in 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 the sports nutrition world? I mean, 
Yeah, so this kind of tapers back to the calorie thing. So you need to have the adequate fuel to go achieve that specific outcome. And okay. it's, it's just like a vehicle. It needs the fuel to get to that specific point. Um, so calories are that fuel. And then, you know, you get those calories from different sources, you know, proteins, right. carbohydrates, and fats. And each are going to play a specific role. So proteins are going to be very um, important for uh, growth, repair, um, things of that nature. If there's a surplus, they can also be used for energy. Mm, so okay. protein has four calories per gram. Carbohydrates are the primary fuel source at higher intensities. They also have four calories per gram. And then fats, uh, they're important for hormonal function, cell signaling, but they're also in a, an important fuel source at lower intensities. Okay. So they're much more calorically dense at nine calories per gram. Okay. So you need all three and depending on what your goal is, if it's you know strength, endurance, a team sport, some combination, uh, you're going to need them in different proportions. Okay. That makes sense. And this is what you're talking about, macros or macronutrient ratios. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And then even if there's a you know, specific ratio that might be optimal for a certain goal, the individual might not prefer it. So just their taste preferences, their behaviors. Um, so it's finding a balance between you know what what's palatable and preferential to them yeah. versus what's optimal for their goal. Right. It's, it's striking a balance between those. Cause just if it's, it could be perfect on paper, but if it's not realistic for that person to, you know, adhere to for long periods of time, yeah, for sure it's, it's suboptimal. Yeah. So that person would be more likely to skip out because it, that diet might not be as palatable to them or it might not be practical for their daily operation, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so whether it's training or nutrition, it has to it has to be realistic. Mm. It has to be adherable um, because in any, you know, in any type of physique improvement, whether it's, you know, trying to get better for some type of sport, just get better in general to be healthier um, or to take it to some extreme like bodybuilding and powerlifting. Uh, these are improvements that happen over years and decades. Mm. So if you're not able to, you know, consistently adhere to these things over long periods of time, you're not going to see the improvements. Right. So, and if you fucking hate it, you're not going to want to keep doing it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. If I don't have a beefy five layer in my <laughs> weekly diet, it's not happening. It makes sense. Always with the taco bell. <laughs> Whatever. You got to have those cheat days, you know? Yeah, exactly. You treat yourself. <laughs> my cheat days every day. I need my energy, man. That's where it is. There's fats, carbohydrates. <laughs> there might be some proteins in there. And then the fourth macro, alcohol. Yes. Alcohol. Exactly. Yeah, yes. True, true. Yep. Yes. Uh, which is seven calories per gram. Yes, mm. it is. It fuels me. <laughs> God. Um, so, actually, if you don't mind, can we sort of dive into, like, a typical, like, it, it, could you give us a little bit of, like, a brief overview of sort of what types of macronutrient ratios or diets would be appropriate for, say, like, strength training versus, like, a long-form, like, marathon runner or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So... Whether it's you know strength or endurance, protein is important. There's been a misconception for a while that you know if someone's you know a long distance endurance runner that you know protein isn't important. They're not as they're not under you know as much muscular stress, but that's just that's not true. Um, so you know everything's kind of on a continuum. So if you're doing more you know strength focused training, um, the protein you're going to need to maximize that is going to be a little bit more. Um, so I think in kilograms. So for people who don't use metric, <laughs> I, can, I can do a little bit of math for them. 
Okay. And um, so if, if someone's focused on strength, uh, about one gram per pound for protein okay. is adequate. Uh, and that's for someone who's generally healthy. They don't have any other underlying medical conditions where they might need to restrict protein. One gram per their weight in pounds? In it, is that what you're saying? So or one yeah. gram in the meal? Uh, per one pound. gram per pound of body weight throughout the day. Body weight. Per, okay. But if someone's incredibly obese, it might be a little bit less than that. Mm. Um, because if someone's obese, a lot of their body weight is going to be made up with fat. Yeah. Um, and we're not looking to fuel that as much. Right. Um, so we might use like an adjusted body weight or an ideal body weight in, in those instances. You can sort of live off the land a little bit with with that respect. Sure. Right. Sure. I think, yeah. 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 And then for someone who who's uh, a little bit more on the endurance spectrum, um, they can get away with, you know, like 0.77 grams per pound throughout the day. Mm. Okay. So a little bit, little bit less than one gram per pound. And that's... 0.77, that's less than the RDA. Like, well, that's... The, the, oh, we're thinking of grams per pound. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right, so I'm, I'm thinking I'm, metric. I'm, All right. I think in metric too. <laughs> right. Metric makes way more sense. But right. for our imperial friends, <laughs> yeah, you right. know, yeah. people who have not converted over. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so a pound per gram, a gram of protein per pound of body weight for those individuals whose goals are to build muscle build strength and are sort of in those types of sports yep okay and then it's a continuum so if you find someone who's in like a team sport so team sports tend to be a little bit of both a little bit of both they tend to fall somewhere in there and depending on what sport it is it's it's a spectrum it's a continuum you can kind of adjust that you know you know accordingly which side are you going to shift towards yeah, there'd be a difference between a rugby player and a soccer player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that absolutely. might even uh, go between what position you play on that sport team. As That'd well, be hardcore. Right? That'd be pretty yeah. hardcore. Yeah, like yeah. the goalie versus the f- some other yeah. position <laughs> in soccer. A quarterback versus a D lineman, right? That's a huge difference. Yeah, right? you can you can really get very you know very specific with yeah. all of these. You know, sport position. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in season, off season. You know. You can split hairs, you know, all day, (laughs) you know, sometimes to a good degree, sometimes, you know, a bit neurotically. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would see, I could see the more neurotically (laughs) aspect. Crazy. Now for, for those listening, I mean, protein, is it all the same? Is it, is it like a one gram of animal protein? Is that, will I get the same benefit from one gram of, uh, you know, soy protein or a plant protein base? Yeah, so animal proteins are what we refer to as complete. So they have all of both the essential and non-essential amino acids. Okay. So amino acids are the building blocks of which proteins are built upon. Uh, we need all of the non-essential and essential to build muscle, especially the essential. Uh, they're essential because our body can't make them. The non-essential, our body can make them. Uh, if it gets other ones, it might be able to like, repurpose them and reshape them. Yeah. Uh, but the non-essential ones we need to obtain from our diet. Uh, plant proteins may have some non-essentials, but they're not complete, meaning that they don't have all of them present. So you can get all of your non-essentials just by eating different types of foods. So different types of plant-based foods. Okay. And then you can ultimately, through kind of just like picking from one and the other, you know, get a complete spectrum of them. Okay. So then it's more so, you know, so, so now say you're getting a good spectrum of uh, essential and non-essential amino acids throughout the day. Um, the sources of those are going to really come down to what do you prefer? And are you hitting your total number throughout the day? 
Okay. So if you're hitting your goal number throughout the day, that tends to have the most meaningful effect. And everything else beyond that tends to be a little bit more minor. Okay. So it's most important to just hit your protein goal. Yep, throughout the day. Okay. And then, you know, are you hitting it in one meal or are you hitting it in multiple? Sure. And that's going to have an effect as well. So earlier we were saying, oh, maybe like 12 <laughs> meals versus a smaller amount. Right. Mm. Yeah. So for muscle building purposes, um, muscle protein synthesis, so the process of actually like synthesizing muscle in, uh, from protein uh, tends to be maxed out about three to t- three to five times per day. So if you space meals out at about those intervals, you're able to maximize muscle protein synthesis better than more frequent feedings. Okay. Neat. Does it matter when you may work out too? I don't know. Like, like time of day? Yeah. Like say like it would be better if you ate a bunch of protein right before you went to bed or right before you worked out or right after you worked out. Yeah. So... Spacing it evenly throughout the day kind of is, is like a blanket and hits all those marks anyways. Okay. Um, but in general, yeah, you do want to have some protein before you train, after you train, before bed, when you're waking. Um, so when you're waking, your body's just been fasting for you know, whatever, s- however many hours. It's important to get protein in. So, you ha- so your body has those building blocks and that fuel. Um, before training, it's very strenuous. There's a lot of muscle breakdown, which is a good thing because yeah. it's the stimulus uh, upon which growth happens. But sure. if you have those fuel yeah. sources in you already, it's important during the training session and after to start start that rebuilding and repair process. Okay. Afterwards, there was a big misconception. Uh, some may have heard the term like the anabolic window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, I've got... 30 minutes to get my protein in, bro. I'm going to lose all my gains, man. <laughs> yeah, and it caused a lot of like neuroticism and people putting the cart before the horse in terms of like you would see a bunch of people and just putting like protein shakes in their gym bag. And yeah. As soon as they finish their last exercise, you're just like, slamming a protein shake down because if they didn't, like the workout was for, for not and they would lose all their gains. <laughs> right. Wow. And it, and it doesn't it, like intuitively, if you really think about that, it doesn't really make sense. But, you know, and scientifically, it's it's not supported either. Okay. So uh, one of the researchers who looked into this, um, I think it was Brad Schoenfeld, he, his quote was like, the anabolic window is more like a barn door. It's very big. It, 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 it's, much, <laughs> it's much larger than like your gym bro would have you believe. Right. Yeah. Um, that being said, there's really no downside to getting your protein in sooner. Mm. Sure. And it also depends on when that, pre-workout feeding was as well so if we kind of tie back to you know protein feedings every three to five hours say you had your pre-workout meal two hours before you trained your training session was another two hours and then maybe it took you a half hour to get home you're at four and a half hours you're in that window where you're due to have another protein feeding again right so it would benefit you to have that then so if you're so if you're pre if your pre-training protein dose was further away it'd be more beneficial to get that post, uh, post-workout post protein sooner. Whereas if it was you know, the opposite, if you had that pre-protein sooner, you may be able to space it out a little bit longer. That makes sense. Gotcha. And then before bed, you know, your body's about to fast, you know, having that protein available throughout the night to repair. Now, when I was lifting many, many years ago, <laughs> Um, I had, I always had two different supplements, two different protein supplements. So I always had a whey protein, um, and a casein protein. Um, I, I mean, both were 
technically derived from milk, um, but the casein protein was much more complex. Uh, from my understanding, it took a lot longer to break down, so it was important to, um, since you are fasting overnight, to supplement with a casein protein before bed, so you have a little bit more long-acting, long-lasting protein, whereas that whey, or that whey isolate, baby, mm. um, super concentrated, breaks down easily, quickly digested and absorbed, um, you'd want that more as your post-workout um, protein. Is there any truth to that, or did I was just... No, it's well. it, it's nuanced, so there's there, there are bits of truth to everything you said. So yeah, whey does break down faster, um, casein does take a lot longer to break down, you know, up to seven hours. So if you think of casein, um, what, what is that? What's that candy that um, that takes forever? Uh, Jolly Ranchers. Jolly Ranchers are one. No, there's, there's the one that you suck on for hours. Now and later. Possibly. Hours. Oh. Wait. Um, I think he's talking jawbreaker? about jawbreaker. Jawbreaker. I think he's talking yeah. about stripe gum. Yeah. 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 Stripe gum. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you need twenty packs of stripe gum. Yeah. No. So so jawbreaker. If you think about like casein, like a jawbreaker, it takes hours to strip away layers. Yes. And yes. that's how, and that's how casein's digested. It takes hours to strip away the layers. So that's why casein takes a lot longer. Um. So there is some research that suggests you know a longer drip out. So like. The more it's stripped down, yeah. more amino acids eventually become available. Uh, so that's the thought process. You have more of it, more amino acids that are gradually becoming available throughout the night. Well, there's a, there's a lot of research that suggests that you know a quick spiking is actually more beneficial. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that a rapid spiking, like you would get from whey, uh, is more beneficial for muscle protein synthesis. But at the end of the day, it's more important to hit that total to protein just hit number. Your protein needs. So yeah. on some level, you're kind of splitting hairs. And then if you take another step back and go, you know, who's this person and what are their goals? Mm. Yeah. You know, does it really matter? Right. You know, maybe it matters for, you know, that the elite, most extreme, that elite level, Mr. Olympian. Yeah. But you know, for Bob, who's a weekend warrior down at the gym. Yeah. It's completely inconsequential. Okay. Right? He's thinking too much into it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Interesting. You're getting too complex and you're focusing on these little things that really aren't going to make a difference for your goals. Absolutely. Especially when you go and get Ben and Jerry's the night after. <laughs> it defeats the whole, whole thing. Going a weekend bender, you know, you're out in the clubs, ripping it up, drinking a bunch yeah. of beers. I mean, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. and then you're and at vitamin shop looking through every single ingredient <laughs> yeah. the next day. Like, bro, you just had 14 beers last night. And this happens all the time. You have so many people that, you know, hyper-focus on this one area, you know, in this particular instance, like supplementation. Mm, yeah. And if you you want to like put everything into a hierarchy in terms of you know importance and magnitude and effect supplementation is the very last thing mm. and you have so many people who are just focused on slamming that protein shake before bed after their training session and they're not even paying attention to their calories they're not even paying right. attention to lifestyle they're not even making sure they're getting enough protein throughout the day they're not making sure that it's spaced out evenly throughout the day they're not making sure they're eating fluids you know micronutrients they're like you misprioritizing everything. You can't outlift a shitty diet, right? It's really difficult to. <laughs> it's, really, it's, really, it's really difficult Challenge to. accepted. <laughs> All right, James, you're going to go to Taco Bell for 90 days, okay? And then I'll just run 10 miles a day Perfect. and be at the gym for six hours a day. All right. I can Perfect. do it. <laughs> what, uh, yeah, that's what, totally doable. Very what, practical. What does what Bert have? The Mickey Mantle gene? Yeah, yeah. I might have that gene. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> 
Uh, well, didn't you in your 23andMe, you had the, that superior performance? I was going to ask him. Yeah, I'm uh, my 23andMe, I have a, <laughs> I have the genes for an elite power lifter. Yeah, yeah. so I've done 23andMe as well. Oh, yes. nice. Yeah. Nice. nice. I, right. I think 23andMe is, um, it's very insightful if you understand how to apply it in the right context. Mm. So I know you guys did a whole episode on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't able to listen to the whole thing. Uh, did you get to my blood daddy yet? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I, you know, I don't remember if this part was touched on. Yeah. But with Twenty Three Me, they only test certain genes, mm-hmm. and there's hundreds, if not thousands, oh, of yeah. genes that codes for for certain outcomes. So, in terms of like the one that he's referencing, yeah, you know, are you are you a responder to like power type training? Yeah. So like sprinting, power lifting, explosive type movements. I'm not blessed in that regard. <laughs> so, according to those specific, according to those specific genetic markers that they tested, I think it's two or three of them, and it tends to be more common ones. Um, I do not have the genotype that is favorable for explosive type movement. Yeah, just um, interesting. Yeah, you know, I just can't wait for the lucky the scratch ticket luck gene to come through. <laughs> Hopefully, I have that one. I'm pretty but, sure I don't. But, you know, never say never, right? The way I I like to look at it is, you know, genetics, genetics loads the gun, but behavior pulls the trigger. Yeah, so totally. You know, that's, just a good, the, that's a good saying, man. I like yeah. that. It's, it's not mine. I heard it somewhere else. Unless so. you're my friend Keith, and that guy's fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you can always overcome, you know, a less favorable hand. Yeah. yeah. Um, it might be. You know, well, you, you might never become an elite level world champion, but you can always be better in regards to your own reference points. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. um, I see that all the time, and I, I've heard that. Like, well, you know, I've I've got the genes, so fuck it. Like, and they just they just sort of like bow down and kneel down to their genes, thinking that's the end all be all. Like, yeah. fuck that, man. Like, you and, can totally overcome that shit. And there's other sayings on the uh, on this. I think it's. Um, you know, like hard work beats talent when ta- when talent doesn't work hard. You know, there's a bunch of different oh, iterations yeah, yeah. of like yeah. similar concepts, and it's <clears throat> it's it, it all relates back to like those who are genetically ble- genetically blessed. You know, if they work hard, and you have the, and you have the right maybe. stuff, you have the right ingredients. Yeah, you can get to that high end of it. Right, that's where you have like your LeBron Jameses. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. and you yeah. know, a lot of times, like in high school, you might see some people who are you know genetically blessed break away from the pack. Yeah, and at high school, when you have such a mix, you know, developmentally, genetically, you know, whatever else, you know, they might be able to get away with that for a certain while, and yeah. then sometimes you see those individuals who are you know like big fish in a small pond. They go right. on to the next thing, and then all of a sudden, they're introduced to others who maybe aren't as genetically blessed, but then, you know, work twice, if not more, right. um, harder than them, and then they get, you know... They surpass. They surpass yeah. them. Well, yeah. It's the same thing, too. Like, if you were blessed like that in high school, you might not try as hard because it's easier for you to be successful in that thing, you know? Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, dude, I don't even try, and I'm good at this. So you just, you kind of just float by while there's other guys who fucking try their balls off and they might surpass you because they're trying so hard and you're just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. I see. I used to see that shit all the time, man. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm. So so when it comes to, you know, like lifting and nutrition, you know, you can always be better than your current reference point. Yeah. So that's kind of where like understanding the context of things like 23andMe come in. So like I don't have that favorable genotype. I still compete. I'm not an elite level, but I do okay in my own right. And every time yeah. I've competed, I've done better than my prior. So, sure. 
yeah. that's as long as you can frame it in those types of ways yeah it's very cool info yeah 23 and me 23 and me <laughs> no, i'm good man <laughs> you're kidding you're kidding <laughs> you don't want your info out there you he don't doesn't want, want his semen everywhere <laughs> my semen is everywhere <laughs> that's the late. problem <laughs> <laughs> um so going back to i mean that was i mean going back to the performance for like or the nutrition type for the endurance athlete well what is something that you would expect from that in order for like peak performance how would you nutritionally how would you incorporate that in yeah so we touched on like the the protein for both Mm. um so carbohydrates are the next thing you usually look at and and like protein whether it's for strength training or endurance training it, it occurs on a spectrum so if your strength training uh the most extreme end of that in terms of needing fewer carbohydrates would be someone who's powerlifting. Um, they typically perform very few reps at a time. So the energy systems that are being used, they don't depend on carbohydrates to, uh, to the same degree as someone who's long distance running would. Okay. So someone, uh, someone who's powerlifting, bodybuilding uses more carbohydrates. Just going to the gym and resistance training uses more carbohydrates, but you can usually get away with, you know, three to five grams per kilogram. Okay. So a pretty moderate amount, but then someone who's on the very far end, who's like running marathons, like full marathons, maybe doing multiple training sessions per day. Yeah. Uh, you know, like a Michael Phelps. Sure. Lots of swimming, multiple sessions per day. They may need up to 10 kilograms, uh, 10 grams per kilogram carbohydrates. Okay. So now we're talking almost three times as many. Right. And then depending on the sport, like again, team sports can fall somewhere in the middle, what position you're playing. Mm. Like so. baseball versus soccer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, that's absolutely. That's absolutely. why I played baseball, not soccer, because I like, hated <laughs> running. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean in and then there's different components of these, you know, so like if you're you know, if you're if you're defensively, you know, it's short bursts of movement. Yeah. Which is similar to sprinting. Right. most instances so now you're on like the lower end of that carbohydrate spectrum so whereas if you were playing soccer you're always running you're always running you're moving you're going to be probably you're probably not going to be on that 10 end you're probably going to be somewhere between you know six to eight depending on right depending on the level depending on your position on the field yeah you're go- if you're the goalie if you're the goalie you're probably not going to need the higher end <laughs> okay so um endurance athletes it's a little bit more obviously depending on the type of sport carbohydrates are a little bit more of an importance comparatively to say like a strength training or a power lifter yeah so carbohydrates are important regardless but definitely for endurance and mm-hmm. that just comes down to the fuel systems that your body uses so your okay. body has different fuel systems that it taps into based on the intensity and the duration of whatever activity you're doing such as say that again such as can you give like an example of like your 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 fuel systems in your body if we want to get that in depth, yeah, Hell sure. Yeah, we'll get into that depth. <laughs> All right. Can't yeah. think of anybody else better to say this, man. This, sure, this yeah. is just part one. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So pretty much regardless of the activity, um, the first uh, you know five to thirteen seconds is going to be like the phosphagen system. So if people supplement with like creatine, mm-hmm. that's the fuel source that they're using. Okay. Wait. Say that again. Sorry. Yep. So the, let so it click. Yep. The fr- the. The initial, the initial movements of just about any activity, like about five to 13 seconds, give or take, okay. is fueled by a system called the phosphagen creatine system. Okay. So that's what people supplement with creatine for, to have more of that fuel available to them. 
Gotcha. And that allows for rapid, quick movements. Okay. It provides a lot of energy in a very short period of time. But because it does that, it tapers off incredibly quickly. Yeah. Beyond that, then you start to get into what are referred to as anaerobic energy systems. Yes. So without oxygen, anaerobic glycolysis, typically systems that are going to last from that period that um, fossil creatine ends up to you know a minute plus, depending. And then beyond that, you have anaerobic or aerobic glycolysis, which can last up to three minutes, three to five minutes. And then beyond that, you're using beta oxidation, which taps into fat. So the glycolysis uh, taps into mainly carbohydrates and then beta oxidation is technically almost infinite. So long as you have fat cells available. Right. Um, and that is, you know, five beyond. So that'd be for someone who is doing long distance running. Yep. You're going to tap into a little bit of that, um, but you are still using a good deal of carbohydrates as well. Right. And then the, prop- the proportion <clears throat> carbohydrates to fat depends on the intensity. And that's measured typically by like your VO2 max, which is... It's your maximum amount of oxygen that you're using at a particular time. So would that all that stuff be for like how quick you would crash as well? Yep. Yeah. So if you don't have adequate fuels available to you, those systems are going to tap out much faster. Whereas if you have those systems available to you, if you have those fuel sources available, you can go for prolonged periods of time. The better trained you are the better your body becomes at using those fuel sources and those energy systems. It's more efficient. So you can Mm. train those energy systems. So that's why it's important to practice how you play. Okay. So um, baseball, for example, is is a sport that's very heavily rooted in tradition. They've kind of trained a very similar way for, for decades. And it hasn't necessarily been the most optimal way of training. Meaning you see teams running laps, long distance runs, but we had said earlier, what does baseball do a lot of? Sprinting. Mm, right. right. So a lot of times they would be, it would behoove them to actually do more sprinting <laughs> than actually long distance <laughs> right, running right. and laps. Yeah. Makes sense. And that's because you can train those energy systems to become, to become more efficient, to become better at those movements. And that, that's intuitive. Yeah. You know, if you don't, you know, you get better at what you do. So it would yeah. be a bad idea to supplement with creatine if you want to do like the Appalachian Trail. You could so or no. <laughs> the, we can, the, the, this is a this is a big rabbit hole. Yeah. So <laughs> go down it, baby. <laughs> so with most most supplements, you always want to you know ask like, what's the outcome that you're trying to improve? Does mm. this supplement actually improve that outcome? Is it safe? Is it effective? Is it cost effective? Is it you know is it practical for for that person in their context? Right. Um, creatine is one of those, and for all of those other ones, you always want to ask like, why use it? Yeah. Creatine is kind of funny because there is decades upon research saying that it's safe and effective. So it's one of those ones you want to ask like, why not use it? Mm. So there's also a lot of cognitive benefits to creatine. Like what? Yeah. Isn't it like a nootropic or it's thought to be as a nootropic? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. So it can help with like memory, brain function. Um, there's a little bit of research on like brain disease, like Alzheimer's dementia, not enough. I don't, I haven't read enough of it to really speak on it and do it justice. Sure. Uh, So I'm just going to mention it in passing, but yeah, creatine is incredibly safe. It's not this magical mystical compound that just appears (laughs) like creatine occurs in food. Yeah. It's just that you can't eat it. See, I thought creatine was bad, not bad for you, but like it like, does it put water in your muscles or something to make them look bigger? that's another that's another like nuanced misconception so yeah yeah so there's kind of like some 
myth saying that yeah creatine causes like water retention and swelling yeah so we want to look at like where that water retention and swelling is when most people reference it they think it's like extracellularly so like outside your cells causing like puffiness and swelling like you said but it's intracellular it's in your muscles it's in your right, muscles right, where you sense. want it to be and where it's beneficial right and when right. it does that it's helping to pull other nutrients in with it now does it replace the water in other places to put into your muscles which would require you to drink more water so or in, so yeah in general when you're having any type of like osmolite compound which is what this is called yeah your water requirements go up a little bit but yeah. it's it's i don't know like a measurable quantity that it would yeah, go up right right um the easiest way in terms of like hydration is just to monitor your overall status throughout the day. And that can just be done easily and visually by urine color. Yeah. Is your urine clear? Is it Coca-Cola? Yeah. So <laughs> like, typically yeah. Coca-Cola, molasses are pretty bad. <laughs> that means you got the rhabdo. You know, <laughs> lots of blood in my mm. pee. That's not a good yeah. thing. <laughs> Red is not a good color down there. Um, typically, if you see those, you might want to go to the hospital. <clears throat> sure. Yes, um, Definitely. But yeah, you know, if you're aiming for, you know, clear might be overhydrated, but if you're aiming for, you know, a very light shade of yellow, like a lemon color almost, that gotcha. tends to be adequately hydrated and it occurs okay. on a spectrum. And then you can adjust accordingly, you know, is this lighter or darker? But then there's other confounding things too, like are you taking other supplements, other drugs? Right, like your yeah. uh, your vitamin pack that turns oh, your pee yeah. into like Hulk Mountain piss. Dew. Mountain Dew. Yeah, yeah, so that's because of riboflavin. <laughs> riboflavin? Or, yeah, um, I've been taking... Uh, I think it's, is it either riboflavin or B12 that has I a neon green color? I think it was B12. <laughs> I thought it was riboflavin. I thought it was B12. Aren't those usually paired together though? Yeah, they're both B vitamins. So yeah. if you're going to yeah. get them in like a complex like that, that's what they do. Yeah. I, was, I forget I was looking, which one. I was looking for a vitamin, not really to get like jacked or anything, but just to <laughs> just to like make sure I wasn't low in something. Sure. So, it had, so I was taking. I'm starting to take uh, Animal Pack. Have you heard of that? I have. Yeah. It's like <laughs> fucking like twelve horse pills, bro. Yeah. I don't eat that thing like after breakfast, and I'm just full of pills. I'm like, I don't want to eat lunch today. I'm sure. just full. Dude, it's a mission to get those things down. <laughs> no, I have heard of them. There's a lot of similar ones too there. So I'll get a, I'm gonna double back real quick to that one and just yeah. kind of like. So if we're looking at everything on like a hierarchy, we talked about calories. We talked about where those calories are coming from. Yeah. Uh, you know, like proteins, carbs, fats. So your macros. The next thing that you really want to attend to is like your micros. So you're, are you eating, you know, a balanced, diverse diet? Are you yeah. hitting all the food groups in appropriate amounts? And if you tend to do that, you can meet all of your micronutrient needs through food alone. Through food alone. Yeah. Pretty, the only exception to that is vitamin D. Vitamin D is... I've heard a lot of stuff about vitamin D. Vitamin D is really hard to get through food. Um, you have to really consciously be aware of the food sources you're getting it from. So like fortified milks, certain types of mushrooms, certain fish. Um, but even with that, the recommended amount for vitamin D is actually likely too low. And it's likely too low by about four times. It's 400, yeah. right? Like our... it's, it's about four to 600, depending yeah. on the age. Um, and it's becoming more well accepted that adequate intake is probably around 2,000 IUs. Okay. Mm. So much more. Uh, and this, so like, the reason for the discrepancy is it, they think it was due to like a math error when they were calculating the requirements years ago. So everything is just kind of, in terms of micronutrient requirements, it's based on some data that we have. Sometimes it's not very much. So you get like, kind of like we're doing, you get a bunch of people who are experts on this. They sit around at a table and then they find a common agreement. How much do we think is enough to cover 50% of people, Yeah, 98% of people. 
and then they figure it out by that. So yeah, vitamin D, most people probably need to supplement and then it also depends on where you live. Yeah. Are you in a region where you can get adequate UV exposure from the sun? Which we are not, right? No, the Northeast sucks, right? Only, only certain times throughout the year. Yeah. So like right now, you know, about end of March, we're kind of just getting into the period where you can synthesize enough vitamin D. Um, but for the last few months, even if you were outside at noon, the wavelengths of UV are, uh, they're not, they're not adequate. And they're obviously absorbed through the sun, mm-hmm. right? So if you're covered up too, yeah. in a sweatshirt which are more likely shirt, to be at this time of year right? Absolutely. A hat, you're yeah. only getting like on your hands and your face maybe yeah. and right? then even using sunblock things That's like even that blo- is that blocking it vitamin yeah. d yep pigmentation of your skin so if you mm-hmm. have darker skin yep. it's gonna it's not gonna be absorbed so even as in the summer if you're gonna fuck ton of sun you're wearing sunscreen or you know clothes so yeah so it's it's one of those things that's cautiously cautiously recommended because you know excessive sun exposure you know predisposes you to cancer yeah mm-hmm. skin cancer so the recommendation is kind of you don't get enough which is usually about 10 to 15 minutes in those appropriate times throughout the year so if you're in the northeast you know like the summer months from you know end of mid end of march yeah until the beginning of fall usually about noon 15 20 minutes is, a, is adequate exposure that's enough to get your supplements in that's enough to meet i believe the original rda i I'd have to double check if it's enough to meet the new updated one that's mm. probably going to come around. So I saw a thing where I think I heard about it. It was probably like a run of Patrick podcast or something, but it was like they did they did tests on mice with vitamin D and they gave them like, I don't know if it was just like the recommended value that they should have eaten or like doubled, but their life expectancy ended up doubling because of just vitamin D alone. Do you yeah. guys get any of that? Or is that just all bullshit? So, so vitamin D is super cool because we're finding out that, so it's primarily thought to be involved in like bone metabolism. So it helps helps you absorb calcium for, for stronger bones. Mm. But we're finding out that the vitamin D receptor, so once you ingest vitamin D, there's little receptors that vitamin D binds to, to have its effects. Those receptors are on just about every cell throughout your body. I should give my chickens vitamin D. <laughs> egg production will probably go shoot through the roof. So the calcium, if it binds the calcium, those that egg shell, you're be never, hard as rock. You're never cracking them. Never cracking them. Yeah. That's there good. Go. Though. I want that. Theft deterrent. Just throw them. Just throw yeah. rocks at people. <laughs> get out of here! Throw that kid. But yeah, we're finding out vitamin D is is important in a lot of a lot of physiological roles far too many to to get into and most of which we don't even really have enough understanding we're just kind of like finding out how again how little do we know yeah 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 Um, so basically what you're saying is if you were to take any vitamin take vitamin d if you're gonna supplement yeah so in general though just to kind of cover myself when i say that you always want to get lab work done yeah you never just want to supplement you never want to supplement blindly Mm. um they have different ways of testing for certain micronutrients. Some of them they're not able to test directly for, but in general, you want to get lab work just so you have a reference point. Yeah. Because another misconception is, oh, if some is good, more is better. And in terms of like performance, excessive micronutrients doesn't improve performance. If you're inadequate or deficient in any micronutrient, your performance is going to be hindered. Right. And then once sense. you get back up to adequate levels, your body's allowed to perform up to its capacity. So having more just for the sake of more doesn't really have any benefit in for some instances. So for like fat soluble vitamins, we have fat and water soluble vitamins. We hold on to fat soluble vitamins for a lot longer because they're stored in our fat cells. 
and it's very easy to run into tox, uh, toxicity, so excessive high levels through supplementation. Mm. So your fat soluble fat soluble vitamins. That's your vitamin A, um, D, K, E, those types of things. Your soluble vitamins. So those are the ones that basically you just you pee out. You pee right out of your urine. Um, those are your B vitamins. Yep. So I mean, having too many B vitamins wouldn't be a big deal because you would just pee it right out. You'd have really expensive urine. Yes. Right. That's what people say. Expensive you, urine. Oh, you're going to the store to you know. By expensive urine, right? Basically. The, the only exception is uh, B12, which is stored in your liver. And that could be bad, right, if you had too much of that, essentially? Yeah. It's it's a, well, it's, it's harder it, to get, too, but it's doable. Energy drinks are fucking full of B12, isn't it? Isn't yeah. it like 10,000%, I think I've read on those? It, it differs from each one. So the thought process behind energy drinks putting B vitamins in there is B vitamins, they don't give you energy, but they're metabolic cofactors, meaning that they're they're essential parts of energy metabolism to break down your macronutrients, your proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. So specifically, breaking down carbohydrates for energy, the B vitamins are really important to help break those down. So, but just by ingesting more of them doesn't give you energy, it's a marketing. So it'd be good if you were to eat something, then have a six hour energy or whatever those things are. <laughs> what are they called, five hour, six hour? Five, there's probably both. Yeah. <laughs> I want 12. So <laughs> it'd be good to eat food and then drink one of those as opposed to just drinking it because then it's not using carbohydrates and proteins to break down to give you energy. Well, you're probably most B vitamins, if you're eating a balanced diet, are very easily obtained. Mm. So they're really just extra. And yeah. they're really just in there for, okay. for marketing fluff. Right. Um, so they're really not doing much for you. Um, so that's to kind of like come full circle so to for your original. Like, yeah. Sorry. For nope. a normal dude who doesn't work out that much. You just want to make sure you have your, your like, you know, all checked out and all your vitamins, you're not deficient. Eating a balanced meal every day or, you know, whatever, would be enough to hit all those vitamin goals except for maybe vitamin D. Yeah, so that's the other okay. thing is, you know, when we talked about um, extra vitamins don't improve performance, just because you're becoming more active, your micronutrient needs don't increase. I was actually just going to ask that's that. That's an important yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they're, they're the same. They're kind of proportional to your body size, but in general, like the RDA, so if you ever look on like a nutrition label, most of it's the RDA, and the RDA is usually to meet about the needs of 98% of people. Yeah. Regardless of what they do as an activity or workout. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So chances are, if you are within there, you're meeting your needs, but the, it's averages. Yeah. No one person represents an average, so everyone's a little unique. So mm-hmm. some might need a little bit more, some might need less. And it's really difficult to quantify that specifically, but that's why you want to get tested. Mm. Because if you are inadequate or deficient, there are ways to dietarily intervene on that. And you always want to intervene with food first, as opposed to supplementation. That makes sense, yeah. I mean, the only reason you would possibly supplement before you intervene dietarily, you know, is there you know, like a medical or allergic reason where you can't have certain foods that have those vitamins? Is there like a moral or ethical reason why you're restricting certain food groups? Mm. Those are kind of... Or you if know. you have a severe deficiency, is yeah, especially yeah. with like a fat soluble vitamin or the, something like the, that that you might need to correct. Yeah, yeah, you're probably so like if you're vitamin D deficient, the amount to correct that you're not going to get through sun exposure or food. So that's gonna, that's going to be medically corrected though. Right. I saw a weird thing just the other day about um, it was kind of like to go back, but with like um, like skin cancer, there's like a ten percent spike in the last ten years of skin cancer. They think it's because of um, 
not because of the sun, but because of like sunbathing in um, those tanning booths. And like such a younger age, there's more people getting skin cancer from that. Mm. <laughs> but um, I wanted to ask, is there like a weird vitamin or like like something that's like you don't really find a lot in food? Like, okay, so I, I eat like a lot of chicken and broccoli <laughs> and rice as a normal meal. Is there something that like, there's one vegetable that has that one vitamin in it that I might not be hitting? Or like, I eat a lot of onions, peppers, broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> like, am I like, oh, if you're not eating any carrots, you're not getting vitamin fucking G. All right, you know? All right sure. Mike, we're doing a full assessment on James's well, nutrition. Yeah, no, okay. <laughs> yeah. you, like, get, you get I'm, the paper. Yeah. <laughs> I think I eat a balanced, a well-balanced amount of food. I eat a lot of vegetables and a lot of meat and maybe some rice and whatever. But like, I want to know if there's like, oh, if you're not eating carrots, you're probably not getting vitamin whatever a, in your a, diet. Hey. So let, you know what let I'm me, saying? Let Am me I try and yeah. rephrase this. Try to make it into a okay? smart question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think what he's trying to say: Are there any like common foods that people aren't eating that might be high in vitamins that they could add into their diet? That would be beneficial. Like if they're like yeah. something that you hear common. Like if people weren't eating carrots, if it was some weird like like yeah, if you, you know, weren't eating carrots, you're probably not getting like, this vitamin like, because like it's not common in people other should be vegetables. eating more turnips because it has this vitamin in it. Or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if there. There's definitely not a one size fits all. Yeah, because uh, it's going to vary. You know regionally yeah you know because there's all different food palettes and preferences exactly all those things um but in general yeah if you do enough of a food you know food investigation on that one individual maybe sure they're under yeah. eating in certain ones mm. because not all vegetables have all vitamins and minerals right in equal amounts or even present so if you kind of get a full recall you can see where they may be deficient in like and then you, you can eat, troubleshoot it if mm. you just eat broccoli and chicken you're probably going to be deficient in something right if you're just doing broccoli and chicken, sure. Yeah. yeah. Because, so when we say, like, eat your fruits and vegetables, and we say eat the rainbow, it's because, yeah, there's different vitamins and minerals in there. So specifically, your red ones and your oranges are going to have vitamin A. Okay. And then, now we're getting into other nutrients, like phytonutrients. Phytonutrients, yeah. So, these are bioactive substances that we've identified a lot of but there are a lot that we haven't identified that have a lot of beneficial health effects and that's it's very in-depth and that's the simplest way to kind of like blanket over it but they're beneficial compounds that are in all of these different foods and different ones are found in different colors but in general most of them it's agreed upon that they have very beneficial health effects usually anti-cancerous uh, whether it's you know any other type of chronic disease, they they tend to be anti those. Mm. Okay. So, also improve so, blood pressure. I mean, yeah. Like like that's why you hear like the red wine. Like what's it? The resveratrol yep. in the red wine. Like yeah. it, it has a positive benefit on the human body. Mm. Um, whether it's a cardiac benefit, whatever. Yeah. So it's all it, it's you know by getting that diverse color spectrum, you know theoretically you're getting you know, a diverse spread of vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients. Yeah. All of which have protective health benefits. Mm. Yeah. Garlic has allicin. Um, green tea has catechins. I mean, there's all kinds of weird... I it, mean, that's a whole, like, fucking way yeah. other field, man. Yeah, and there's... As many as there are that we've identified, there are, right, you like, know, probably thousands, if not more, that we haven't identified. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think 
one thing that really isn't grasped is we don't eat nutrients or compounds in isolation. We eat them as whole foods. Yeah. And when you eat things in conjunction, they have synergistic and competing effects. So sometimes mm. they might work better together. Sometimes they might work against each other. So you have to look at everything in its totality. So if you're gotcha. taking something in a standalone supplement, you might not be getting the full benefits from it because you're not eating it in that food where it naturally exists and it has all those synergies that are gonna happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Synergy. <laughs> so so in general, you like you said, eating the rainbow, like I know when I prepare like when me and my wife prepare our meals like every night, we're kind of swapping out our vegetables like from week to week what we're doing. Maybe it'll be broccoli and cauliflower. Then we'll go to carrots and peppers and mushrooms and kind of just keep cycling through that as we go. So we're hitting as much of those things as we can practically. Yeah, you know? that's a great that's a great way to do it. A lot of people do it that way. Even though we talk about recommended amounts per day, a lot of these we can look at mm. on multiple day to even week to week. Yeah. Um, because, you know, midnight doesn't magically reset the clock. Mm -hmm. These things, yeah. are, these compounds are still present. Um, right. So just be, you know, say you're short on, you know, vitamin A on one day. Maybe you have extra vitamin A on the very next day. And over the two days, you eventually get to 100, what would have been 100% on both days. Yeah. So you can, it's, it's kind of like a matching game, if yeah. you will. And then what you're kind of getting into also is like eating seasonally, mm. potentially. Yep. Yep. So depending on, you know, is the, you know, how far did the food have to travel? If it traveled a while, possibly it's spoiled. Some of these nutrients might not be available. Maybe mm -hmm. they may have spoiled. Um, when food is fresher, it tastes better, more likely to eat it. So there's all these other other nuances. Mm. Right. I was going to say eating in season. I wonder if that plays a role in anything. Well, it's definitely cheaper. Yeah. I mean, eating in season. Well, what about for your cheaper. body? Like saying like eating winter fruits during the winter could be good because of this vitamin because you're lacking it or the summertime when like <laughs> so things are happening. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's the, seemed, the fresher it is, or the more fresh it is, the more nutritionally it completed is yeah and right? then depending on how you cook it too yeah so of if you if you or if you're there are you know like more quote-unquote damaging ways to cook yeah. so if you cook it you know longer durations at higher heats some of these vitamins and minerals can have breakdown and then they're they not seep out into the water they can seep out um i like boiling broccoli takes all yeah. the nutrients out of it <laughs> but that but i let me be clear that should not deter you yeah from making and eating broccoli yeah. like i've heard this before uh, yeah that's a that's what a good differentiate like I, still I, eat your broccoli like i've heard like, like broccoli, oh son. well uh, cook vegetables but if you cook them, don't you lose all the nutrition? So what's the point? Like That's crazy. Like, fuck that. No. <laughs> don't let that deter you from getting your veggies in, man. Yeah. I eat a lot of veggies. I, would I say, got a farm, baby. <laughs> I would say, like, you the, do have a farm. Yeah. Like, the one thing I would add to that, too, is it seems like, you know, regardless of, like, where it's grown or seasonally, like, the vitamins initially, once that food or is... Um, is produced they tend to be this they tend to be very similar yeah. but the mineral content can vary and that's usually dependent upon the soil uh, yeah. yeah so that's a good point if yeah. you don't yeah. have you know very rich soil sometimes the mineral content of that food you know Might could be low could be subpar as compared to very rich rich soil mm. um and that's a whole other you know like agriculture yeah. crop rotation <laughs> all of that yeah. all no, that, that makes sense so um i want to go back well let's go back to supplements real quick um you know, you had mentioned sort of it's important for 
buying reputable supplements, really understanding that the industry itself is not regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. Okay, the the supplement market we see today is not regulated. Okay, so people could do whatever the fuck they want. They could put a label on it and they could sell you like fucking sugar pills and say it's gonna you know give you four hour boners. Like, yeah. oh really? They can matter. do that. <laughs> they can do whatever the fuck they want. Which yeah. I can do that. <laughs> Come on down, baby. James boner pills. Get them out. No ethics here. No, no. ethics. <laughs> so it, it it is so like it's not until a supplement actually causes harm to somebody will the FDA step in and actually mm. pull it off the shelf. And that that goes back to like what is it like the like the oh god like the muscle tech. What were those pills? Like hydroxycut or like a the ephedrine? Oh, yeah, the, the Fenfen and everything. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of companies that get flagged for, for various things, whether it's you know, misrepresenting a product, whether it's mislabeling. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's definitely more bad supplement companies and more ineffective products out there. But there are some effective ones. Yeah. There are some... Some some good companies, some really some rep- reputable companies. Yeah, I mean, and it's usually the good ones that end up being successful anyway because they get that's reviews. Not entirely true, though. No? So, in my experience, some of the like the best, most honest companies are the ones that struggle the most because Damn. because they tend to adhere to you know this kind of like internal you know like moral dialogue. So they're not willing to you know like give you that fake tagline to sell a product they're not willing Uh, mm. to give you this misrepresentation they might not even be willing to manufacture a certain product because they just know it's ineffective where you have all these other companies that are what's the latest and greatest marketing buzz that we can just push something out and know something and if we just put something (laughs) and if we put a catchy tagline on it and put someone who looks like they know what they're doing you know just because they look like they're in shape they can go sell a bunch. Yeah, marketing's huge. My my, there's a new one I just saw, and I hope we don't get sued for me just throwing this shit under the bus. <laughs> I mean, I don't give a fuck. There's this one called um, Liquid IV. Okay, I, I have think you seen I, this? I think I know where you're going, but so yeah. they use cellular transport technology. Okay, <laughs> and they've developed this patent where they have a the appropriate ratios of sodium and potassium and glucose and it helps improve the transportation of the the fluids and all the stuff into your muscle tissue for performance um, and on the bag itself on the on the bag itself it has it shows a, a sort of a pictogram of a bottle of water with this powder being added into it and then an equal sign to three separate bottles of water meaning that according to this pictogram that you add this powder liquid IV to a bottle of water and And it's supposed to equal three three bottles bottles of water (laughs) so just to clarify this is something that you drink or this is actually like an intravenous supplement this is a powder powder that you add to water water. okay I feel a lot I feel like as shady as this sounds, I feel better that it's not an intravenous. Right. Well, because that's getting really popular right now, right? There are so that, that's where I thought you were initially going to go is because there's a lot of Wait, there's a lot of intravenous supplements happening. So there's some that are being marketed as like anti hangover yeah. ones, and yeah. they're like, or even just like healthiness, like quote, those. quote unquote, like health rejuvenation, like, and what they are is they're just like massive doses of like vitamins, right? IV vitamins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Justin, you have a good handle on this because you understand like parenteral IV nutrition. Right. That's just 
an that's uh, like, scary scary dangerous that's so fucking scary man because you could so, fuck up so like one of the inherent dangers of this is you know if you eat something 100% of that might not make it into your blood there's you know regulatory systems so if your body has enough of something it it can excrete excessive amounts but if you put something directly into your blood mm. you're getting a hundred percent of there's that there's no metabolism there's no yeah. breakdown there's no yeah. it's, so it's concentrated so it's very easy to get excessive amounts and excessive amounts toxicity and liver the, failure and organ failure and stuff in, in extreme cases yeah yeah mm. so yeah. wait a second wait a second we heard about something like this and the girl died from it what was that Ah, we talked oh, about it. You remember? In, oh, oh, we did. It was, it was, um, it was an enema. It was a salt enema. Oh, she was on a salt diet. Oh, she she <laughs> she, she drank diet. soy sauce. That's yeah. what it was. <laughs> she, she like butt funneled <laughs> soy sauce and she died from it. <laughs> butt funneled like straight. <laughs> I, well, I was gonna compare. It's like drinking alcohol and then like butt funneling a bottle of wine. Well, you gotta think. You could die from that <laughs> because it goes it like straight. This. It skips your liver. No shit, she died. Yeah. No shit. You think in, but it, it was in a cleansing thing. One serving of soy sauce, I think, is one tablespoon. Um, yeah, it's one tablespoon, mm. and you look at the sodium. Yeah, in one tablespoon of soy sauce, it's yeah. it's easily over a thousand. Yeah. Okay. You Even ch- the low sodium stuff is pretty remarkably high. Yeah, it's like five hundred. Yeah. Or yeah. So think about how much fucking salt. She I took think, down. I think it was like a Reddit thing, and it was a joke. It was like almost one of those jokes, like, "Oh, you want to get the toxins out of your body?" Toxins. I fucking hate we'll that talk word. About, we'll talk yeah, about it right after this. Trigger word. Um, <laughs> drink a liter of soy sauce, and it'll cleanse your body. And she did. She drank a, li- a liter of soy sauce. After like twenty or thirty minutes, she got into a coma, and she ended up getting organ failure and dying. She was like. 25 years old and she just saw it on reddit thought it was real but it was a joke and these people were making fun of people saying yeah drink a liter of soy sauce and it'll cleanse your body she drank it and she ended up which is terrible but yeah. she ended up dying the, from it uh, there's so many iterations of you know just different nonsense like that and more like crazy diets that mm-hmm. are like bullshit. It, and there's so many different layers to kind of look at with that it's like on one level you have the people who push it who you know a lot of times you have like an appeal to authority. So maybe you have someone in a different discipline just because they have like a high credential and they're looking for some money. They might now push something that isn't ethically or evidence supported. Yeah. But then they endorse it because they want some money and then people see that title and they think it's legitimate. So then actual legitimate practices struggle to get credibility because people don't know who to believe. Yeah. But then you have other, you know, I think the other end of that is, you know, I think people just really need to learn to critically think. I mean, Mm. Like, does that sound like like a viable solution? Exactly. Like, where exactly. where in the common sense, like, where does any of that sound reasonable? I think people just kind of get fixated on this thing where they want it to happen now. And they're yeah. like, I can, so there's this one thing that I can do that's going to cure me. And Instant it's going to happen in a day. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of, it's kind of like an an unpopular opinion usually to those who have not seen the results they want but there's some underlying of truth yeah and it's you know most people fail to see you know the results they want because really they just don't have the patience and the effort Mm -hmm. to stick to the the things that work and what are the things that work and it's you know it's moderate approaches but it's hard work over time yes and that's not appealing that's not a catchy a catchy headline it's hard. It actually takes effort and consistency <laughs> exactly. day to day. Yeah. So most people want to believe that the reason they haven't seen success is because 
you know, it's not because it's this actual like very easy thing that I can actually do. It's it's like accessible to me. It's mm. because it's this extreme thing that only the very very few can actually do. Mm. So there's this kind of deferment of blame. Yeah, I haven't seen the results I want because the only way to get them is to do this completely extreme thing that only like two percent of people can do. So the the fault's not on me. No, no. The, the fault is on. <laughs> someone somewhere or something else exactly because they don't want to put in that daily effort and take the time yeah. to actually do what they need to do to see those results yeah and that can and i, I kind of use that example or that like tale if you will like cautiously because it, it, it sounds kind of like pretentious almost yeah and it, and it does sound kind of harsh mm. um but on some le- on some levels, there you know there is some truth to that. Is people do look for the easy fix, mm-hmm. um, and some of that is maybe they just don't know any better. Yeah, uh, but there, there's so many layers psychologically as to why people gravitate towards certain things or are in avoidance of certain things. Sometimes it's you know fear of success, mm-hmm. and these are like psych you know psychology rabbit holes. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, but you know it sounds kind of harsh, but on, I think on some level it is true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, it goes back to those basic building blocks that you were talking about earlier, right? It's like calorie intake, your you know, your macros, like just being a little bit aware of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the one thing I want to double back on that I realized we we forgot to touch on. Fats? We, yeah. We totally we, skipped we totally, fats. We yeah. totally skipped over fats. Well, we're going to fats right now. We're going to fats. <laughs> then I want to talk about toxins. <laughs> I got all sorts of questions. Oh, my oh God. God. No. Yeah. So we, we said, you know, protein and carbohydrates both kind of occur on a spectrum dependent on your goal. You know, if you're strength training, you're going to need more protein versus someone who's doing a little bit more endurance, you still need protein, but maybe not as much in comparison, whereas carbohydrates, if you're doing, you know, multiple sessions, you know, very high endurance, you know, high intense, high endurance activity, you're gonna need a lot more versus if you're sedentary, you know, and then if you're strength training, you're gonna need more. But now fats, so if we kind of go back to, you know, how many calories do we need? Protein and carbohydrates both have four calories per gram, fats have nine. So it kind of fills in that, you know, that the rest of that puzzle. You know, how many calories do you need respective to your goal? Are you trying to gain, lose, or maintain weight? And then how many calories have you allotted to carbohydrates? How many calories have you allotted to protein? How many calories do you have left? Can you allot them to fat? Okay. And then you could do some self-checks. Like, are you actually getting enough fat to maintain hormone balance, to maintain mm. cell functioning? So in general, usually about half a gram per kilogram is an is like a minimal amount i usually don't like to see people go go below that so half a gram per kilo so like yeah. for actual like context what does that actually mean so for like someone who's 180 pounds you know that's like 40 grams of fat per day per day and that's like a minimum that i usually don't like to see people go below <laughs> just to kind of put it in in context because there are regardless of workout and regardless, regardless of, of workout because you 40 know grams that Seems a lot. Seem like, a lot. Doesn't seem like a lot. That doesn't seem that, like a lot. That's very, very low. <clears throat> it's very little. But that's. I'm not okay. saying that's how much they should no, have. Right, right. I'm saying like that's that's kind of like that's like a threshold where you don't want to go below that for too long because if you do, you're going to start to Im- uh, negatively influence hormone function, cell functioning, right. things like that. And this is kind of one of those things that comes up a lot more with bodybuilding. So if you're dieting for very long periods of time, 
if you're doing what I would view as a sound dieting strategy, meaning that you're reducing caloric intake gradually over long periods of time, you're not reducing carbohydrates and fats disproportionately, you're kind of reducing them in somewhat equal amounts depending on your activity. Um, eventually those both of you know carbohydrates and fats are going to get lower as a means to facilitate a lower caloric intake so eventually you're going to get to a point mm. where you need to lower your calories to a very extreme level to continue to see progress but in doing that you don't want to overly compromise health by lowering in this example fat too much mm -hmm. so that that's like the full picture of what i want to say on that one mm. yeah i mean it, i i i worry I mean, this is totally a separate, way off topic. But I, I mean, I worry of like, like in the '90s with that whole low-fat, fat-free movement where fat was the enemy. Like, how much damage have we done to the human body? You know, moving through that sort of decade or, or the two decades beyond that. I mean, it's crazy, especially like you say, with how important fat plays in in hormone regulation and things like that. I mean. Yeah, Ooh, it's and that, I mean, scary to think about, man. Just like all these things, there's so many layers too. So you know, where is that fat coming from? What type of fat is it? Right. You know, uh, you know, unsaturated fats. So your polys and your and your monos are definitely going to have you know more cardioprotective effects, meaning that they're they're good for your heart. Yeah. Um, versus saturated fats, which have been really demonized for a long time, but there's a lot of research now that it's it's not as black and white. You know, they're def some of them may be more neutral. So it's not just when we say like mono and poly and saturated fat, it's not just one thing. There's different fat molecules and they have different lengths. Okay. And the length may have different effects throughout your body. Yeah. So when we're looking at saturated fats, the length of some of those, some may be detrimental, some may have more neutral effects. So now if, if like, so if you have like a set, a set, a set fat intake and you're displacing some of those demonstratedly benefited beneficial ones like mono and polyunsaturated fats and you're displacing those with something like a saturated fat that might be neutral comparatively that would be negative mm. so it's context and you have to kind of it's not black and white as no, much as, as much as most people want it to be black and white and simple yeah there there's multiple layers to it and there's a and like i said a lot of it we don't fully understand Right. We're learning more about it. So. so it may be related, but I saw this thing and it was an old, old video of like eight, I think it was like 1890. And it was a video of um, octogarians, octogarians or whatever, <laughs> 80 year old, 90 year olds, 100 year olds, people from 1890. And they're like, they're all like, oh, I'm. 89 years old and I'm 110 years old Lola. and they're talking about their story and this is from 1890 these people are the most spry mother truckers I've ever seen they're like doing the jig dancing around and they're like 90 plus years old and to see people who are like 50 years old having strokes now it made me think not educated nutrition at all but what those dudes were doing back then seemed to make more sense than what we're doing right now and like what was their diet like back in 1800s to 18 to 1900s you gotta think it's just meat and vegetables right i mean when you're looking at that sort of time frame and how much the like you just taking the american food system 
into consideration how much has changed even in the last 30, 40 years post-World War II. I mean, yeah, their diets were a little bit more wholesome. It was a little bit more focused on whole foods. There you weren't know? processed there foods. What didn't right? exist. Not yeah. even cans existed, I don't think, that much. In 1800 to 1900. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, it's so that's part of it. Not I much mean, sugar either, I feel like. Well, you processed food. You have to imagine that the American diet, well, specifically American diet in most countries that are pretty well advanced, have been influenced so heavily by marketing campaigns and television and magazine ads and all that stuff where, like you were saying earlier, they might be just wanting to sell a product rather than worrying about the actual well-being of people. Oh, they don't give a shit. No yeah. way, dude. Yeah. Well, you do it touched on it, like the demonization of fat. Right. A lot, of, And then on the flip side, the demonization of carbohydrates. A lot of this was just funding from sugar, fr- from different industries. Mm. Yeah. You know, what's our agenda? And Fudging what are, the science. Yeah. So there's definitely, you know, as much as we like to think a lot of the science is good and most of it is, is good, but there's definitely, you know, bad studies that slip through the cracks that are fabricated. Yeah. And we're finding, we're finding now, you know, decades later that there were a lot of, you know, uh, fraudulent studies that got pushed through that a lot of that were given a lot of clout um, and then they were f- you know funded by the opposite industry right. to benefit their agenda <laughs> yeah. yeah so there's a lot of backdoor stuff going dude, on that's like everything it's, right now lobbyists and money everything is everything. like that yeah. money money fuels everything you know so I think like so that that's really easy to kind of like take a very negative approach to all this so yeah. like how do you find some positive to that so my answer to that is you know just stick to mo- just stick to the middle of the road yeah like balance moderation there's like anything can be good or harmful dependent upon the dose and mm-hmm. the dose is going to be it's going to vary in in certain amounts water is great for you yeah. in other amounts water can kill you mm-hmm. yeah like drowning <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like water drunk water yeah. intoxication like being hung over and just chugging like a gallon of water i could totally see that yeah, yeah. so i mean you know just like everything else you have to kind of you know look, so, at, it, look at it through the right lenses so mm. james yeah eat your whole chicken eat your veggies gotcha gotcha okay is and, there anything uh, i should avoid i mean just, i'm not gonna stop drinking alcohol so don't tell me that <laughs> but like i i love sugar i don't eat a lot of it but in my mind based on everything that I've seen in social media and culture right now is sugar is the devil. Now, what do you mean by sugar? You like sugar. What does that well, mean? I don't, I'm not going to say I like sugar. I just like everybody likes like you su- like, like pie? Like you went yeah, to the yeah. store and bought a pie? Like I like pie. <laughs> I like ice cream. You know, But I know not to eat it because I know it's bad. And when I do eat it, I feel guilty about it. <laughs> Which I probably should. You sh- you I don't know? think you should. Well, so that, that's it? a whole other. That's a whole other like psychological conversation. Mm, like yeah. f- the foods you eat should never cause guilt. And, uh, if, and if you're feeling talk to, talk to Gina, <laughs> and, and if you're feeling guilty about the foods you're eating or maybe the quantities you're eating, sure, maybe there might be some room to like optimize that in terms yeah. of like portion sizes. But in general, like eating ice cream in moderation should never cause guilt. What's eating? What's moderation for ice cream? It's dependent on it's it, just like everything. It depends on the individual. So someone yeah. who's very very active, who has much. Well, you let's know, take you for example. I know you you have some really high macro goals, and you need to put down some ice cream. So, so yeah, it, you know it depends on the person and how much they need. So just like no two individuals have the exact same monetary budget, 
two no two people have the same caloric budget yeah so you know monetarily what do you need to pay first you know your essential bills you know like your mortgage your utilities things like that if you think of those things like your micronutrients you hit those you hit your macronutrients with all the essentials maybe you have some leftover money discretionary money to, to spend at the end of the month on fun stuff yeah what if you have a lot of money? <laughs> and, 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 and that's a fun situation. Yeah. So, 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 and that's a fun situation that people can get into. So now, so now uh, with food, you know, you you hit your your whole nutrient dense foods, meaning you know your your minimally processed foods that have lots of vitamins, lots of minerals, lots of all the good stuff that we've been talking about. Yeah. Maybe you have extra calories left over after you've checked all those boxes and you want to go have ice cream yeah so maybe someone who has a caloric intake that's a thousand calories higher than someone else maybe they can high go have, endurance athlete maybe or, or exercise guy so maybe they can go have that bowl of ice cream more than once per week yeah whereas another person maybe they can get away with that maybe once maybe twice a week right so if you look at it under those things it doesn't have to be ice cream it could be you know whatever whatever you're so if you compare with money, I have a set amount of cash to spend, but if I wanted to buy that extra thing, I have to use my credit card, and then I start going into debt, and then shit starts falling apart. Yeah. So and that extra ice cream is credit card ice cream. It's credit card ice <laughs> cream. Now I, owe, yeah. I have to. And now you just and you're storing it as fat. Yeah. Storing it as fat, yeah. and then you got to pay that debt later. Yeah, exactly. Through burning it. I like yeah. that analogy. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. For, for, for most people, calories are this term that they've heard and they think that they understand, but they really don't have an actual, you know, conceptual understanding of what it means. Yeah. Um, they just see that, oh, this has, you know, 300 calories and it has more, especially where now a lot of restaurants are labeling and fast food places are, are labeling how many calories on there. Objectively, they know that 300 is less than 500. So for most people, you know, most recommendations are just blanketed to... Oh, lower calories are better because most people are most people are overweight and obese. Yeah. So they just have it programmed that they need fewer. And in general, that might be sound advice, um, but they don't realize what that means to them. They don't realize that how that fits into their own budget because most people um, they haven't spoken to someone who's educated enough, you know, like a like a dietitian who can tell them what's appropriate for them. Yeah. And what's appropriate at one particular moment might not apply at other periods. So at different ages, at different activity levels, you know, if uh, different medical situations, mm. Mm. Right. Um, all of these, it, it's not a set target. It, it moves. So, um, what else do I have? Uh, Keep going. Go. No, you no, no. You have some good so questions. I have, I have a question. <laughs> I have a question about, um, this might not be your expertise, but, Say that someone had cancer, right? And their diet would change because they have cancer. I heard that you would want you wouldn't really necessarily want to have a good a good diet because if you have high vitamins and stuff, you're feeding the cancer. Or is it fat? High fat will feed the cancer. Is that Actually, true? Mike can can you? He's got a good base for this. Yeah, so So I just I just got diagnosed with cancer, right? I got covered in cancer. Well, My, I mean, if you have well, met stage four to your butthole to your brain, like you're okay, fucked. Man. Okay, never yeah. mind. I have, I have butt cancer right now. I should avoid high fats. Maybe not necessarily. Okay. So, there's a lot of new research within the last five five or so years on ketogenic diets and cancer. 
Yeah. So a ketogenic diet is very, very high fat, very, very low carbohydrate, and provides adequate protein. It's very difficult to adhere to, but there's some there's some very intriguing and promising research. Um, a lot of it in animals, some more in humans, that suggests that in certain types of cancer, so not all, uh, that very high fat, very low carbohydrate diets might prolong life and slow the tumor growth. Okay. And just to be clear, this isn't advice for anyone right, who's right, listening. Right. Um, obviously, you need to you know, seek out individualized recommendations for yourself. Um, but there is some interesting research in that regard. So really, like, if we're like just talking... Keto is a huge thing right now. Keto is like the bane of my existence right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably Justin's too. Um, Dude, I've got 90-year-old guys... Not 90, but I've got some really old guys like... Hey, I heard about this ketogenic diet on the news the other day. God, What's that thing. about? I had and some. I had someone in uh, diabetic ketoacidosis who just came out of a coma, and the first question to me was, "Hey, oh, what about that keto?" No. Oh, wow. What's, what's diabetic ketoacidosis? <laughs> <laughs> you could, you could, Justin could have that one. Oh God! Uh, so diabetic ketoacidosis. It is when you're basically. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but. And he will. Um, <laughs> so it is when you essentially your blood sugars get to such a high level, okay, your your cells are starving for sugar, okay, and because your blood sugars are at such a high level, your bodies start producing ketone bodies to try to feed the feed your muscle cells or free, feed the cells of your body, and it becomes such an acidic state that it actually throws off your body's pH. Yep. Ooh, I did it. <laughs> Yay. So, Which is typically really hard to do normally is it's, throw off your body's pH, yeah, right? It's very hard to do. But in, so someone, many who's, in someone who's diabetic, um, this can happen. And when it happens, it usually leads to coma. And if un, if untreated, death. So how do you? Yeah. How does someone like that get to that level? Someone's diabetic. They just eat a shit ton of sugars? Usually it's dietary and medication non-compliance right they're not taking their insulin injections uh, um, they're what, not following an appropriate like yeah the diet recommendations or eating like a shit ton of carbs but um or they don't even know that they're fucking diabetic and they're just eating whatever they want whatever they want and they're not getting the appropriate insulin their pancreas isn't releasing enough insulin and their blood sugars are in the five six hundred ranges which is very very high and they're like, and they just don't know. And then they slip and they get as acidotic and then. Then they're in the hospital in the, the hospital. ICU. Yeah. But I think your original question was like, oh, what do you do if you have cancer nutritionally? Yeah. And it's, it's dependent on, you know, like I said, what, what type of cancer, what stage it is, where and how you're receiving treatment. Yeah. So if you're receiving like head and neck radiation, you might have really difficult times chewing, swallowing and eating and even tasting. Yeah. So recommendations at that point are just how do you find foods that are appealing? Because you might be experiencing, you know, nausea, vomiting, decreased appetite. Ah. Um, you might just be exhausted all the time. So it's uh, it's a lot of times it's it's individualized strategies on how to eat enough while you're feeling well, and then how to eat enough when you're not feeling well. Hmm. And now, then can I can I piggyback off that? Absolutely. <clears throat> so I work in the oncology unit with um specifically with chemotherapy and radiation treatment um i have patients currently that are head and neck cancer guys undergoing radiation treatment okay so it's a beam of radiation that is targeting a specific 
tumor cell or tumor growth to try to help sort of shrink the tumor and eradicate those cells. As a, especially with like a, somebody who's elderly going through this, the treatment is so intense. It, it's almost like, like say you have head and neck cancer hmm. and you're getting radiation therapy. Okay, it's like targeting a radiation beam to that tumor to your throat, and it's like creating a like a sunburn on the inside of your throat. Jeez. Okay, think about how difficult that is. To try to, to swallow. To try to swallow or to try to get any solid food down, no matter what the texture is. If it's if you got a sunburn in your throat, yeah, that would yeah. suck. And that just gets worse and worse and worse as treatment progresses. Okay. So at that level and what I do for my patients, I don't give a shit about what they eat. Yeah. They can eat fucking ice cream for breakfast. I don't is care. Is that when they're like on the way out anyway? No. Or no? no, not necessarily. You know, these are, these are guys that are even in their like fifties, sixties. Like, they've I mean, they've got plenty of life left. Yeah. But the goal is there's no dietary restrictions. It's like Mike said, just eat calories. Optimize just get calories. calorie intake, whatever it is. So just because butter. we want to make sure we're maintaining weight. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. okay. once you start to you know in cancer, once you start to lose weight, you know mortality and death skyrockets, and mm. it becomes a lot more likely longevity decreases significantly so and what works for one person might not work for another so there's no one answer it's it's very individual and in some regards from like a practitioner standpoint that's fun because now you can really it's a thinking exercise yeah so i mean what (laughs) we keep coming back to this thing like what works for one person doesn't work for the next person and i think I mean, that really kind of sums it up, right? Like, you, if you have any, like, serious questions or health problems or diet problems, you should be seeking out people who are registered dietitians and doctors to get uh, lab tests and find out what you need for your specific body and be working on that. And that will change over time, like you said, as you get older, as your lifestyle changes, as you perform different kinds of athletic type things or you know whatever right like everything is different for everybody but you have to constantly be learning and figuring out like what is what are your specific individual needs because we're all different right depending on the time of you know (laughs) uh what (laughs) <laughs> that is so funny. This is serious. Yeah, no, yeah. that's that's yeah. a that's a very good like recap of all these different things that we've yeah. touched on. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, this is great, man. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. We I could definitely have it. you back on for. I've got more questions. I have but so many questions. <laughs> you know, James has more questions, but that that was a good start, man. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would love to come back. So, yeah. great so, man. Get, There's get, plenty of stuff to chat about. Oh yeah, Definitely. for sure. I mean, the time flew by pretty quick. Man. <laughs> what do we do? Are we like hour forty five? There's gonna be a part two for sure because yeah. I want to know about <laughs> diarrhea. <laughs> I want to know about Taco why Bell. what's so spicy. Why is it not spicy anymore? Exactly. What gives me diarrhea? I eat enough of it, then it's not diarrhea anymore. What? <laughs> First of all, so I'd like to questions. clarify the big myth that Taco Bell causes diarrhea. I'm gonna say that's false. I also that's, say he's that's just false. looking for a sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Taco Bell hit us up. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Ladies, Thanks, guys. Mike. See you yeah, later. Thank you. Thank you, All guys.
my god, that episode was awesome. Ooh, baby. <laughs> so much nutrition's making me hungry. Give me some food, daddy. <laughs> Feed me. Uh, yeah, that that All was that. that was a delicious episode. It was tasty. A yeah. lot of questions were answered. Not enough. We've got to do a couple more parts because I'm full of questions. James has so many <laughs> so questions. So many questions yes. about my slowly dying body. <laughs> <laughs> and your old organs. <laughs> yeah. My deteriorating soul. But, um, yeah, what do we yes. got? So we have, I just have a few things for this episode um, for the fact check. A um, couple things I want to talk about. I, I know Mike had mentioned beta oxidation on the episode. Um, so just for kind of clarification, it's the catabolic process of breaking down fatty acids during aerobic activity. Um, he also mentioned, I think he mentioned part of the VO2 max being a way of sort of determining calorie needs or really um, individualizing nutrition goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of what is VO2 max? So it's a, it is a measure of oxygen consumption while exercising. Okay, so what you would do is you would just sort of determine your resting metabolic rate. Okay, so what that is is it determines your the calories that your body burns or needs while at rest. So if you just sit in a chair all day, don't do anything, which is like what James does on the weekends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you, your resting metabolic rate would be you know whatever that number is. That's at rest with no, not factoring in any activity, nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, what you would do is you would take that number and then you would also use your VO2 max um, calorie estimation and you would, you would use that as a way of determining how many calories you actually burn while you are exercising. Okay. okay? So it's a, it's a way of further individualizing um, your, your nutrition goals and sports nutrition goals. Um, so whether you're, you want to gain weight, lose weight, um, you know, may, weight maintenance, whatever your, you know, whatever your goals are, you can use those numbers to be very, very specific and tailor it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Mike had talked about essential amino acids and non-essential amino acids, um, just for certain, just for clarification, um, you know, a lot of your essential amino acids, so the, the amino acids, your body uh, is unable to make on its own that which it needs from food. Um, it's important to note that a lot of your complete amino acids um, come from non-vegan sources. So sources of meat, chicken, uh, poultry, fish, things like that. So if you're following a vegan diet, it can be very, very tricky um, to get all of your essential amino acids. So it, it really becomes a, a strategy game of det- making sure you're getting enough, um, you know, plant-based protein, soy, uh, whole grains, amino acids from like legumes, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically do your research. Don't just jump into a vegan diet. Yeah. Um, it's more than just eating only vegetables, right? Yes, definitely. <clears throat> um, what else? What else? International units. I know we we would talk about with vitamin D. Like we said, four hundred international units was like the RDA um, for vitamin D. Um, so international units, what they are, it's it's an internationally accepted amount of a substance. 
Okay, so this type of measure is used for the fat-soluble vitamins like A, D, and E, um, certain hormones, enzymes, and biologicals like such as vaccines. Okay, um, it is generally arbitrary, um, but you know, all international units are officially defined by the International Conference for Unification of Formulae. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really want to go any deeper yeah, than that. Yeah, that. that's probably good. <laughs> it's the, you know, the little IU that you see in the end of yeah. the, the dose when you're taking like vitamin D or C or any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, speaking of vitamin D, I did want to go into, I, I looked up this, there was an article um, by Tarushkin V. et al. in the Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology. Um, it was printed in June 2010. And um, what re, what they were researchers. They wanted to predict the length of daily exposure required um, to obtain the sunlight equivalent of 400 and 1,000 IUs of oral vitamin D supplementation. Okay. So in real short, um, if you were at, at noontime in Boston, okay, um, in the summer months, someone with, you know, darker white skin but that burns and tans, they would require six minutes to synthesize a thousand IUs of vitamin D in the summertime. Whoa, that's way less than I thought. Yeah. So yeah. like going to the beach all day and getting sunburn and stuff, yeah. you're getting a huge dose of vitamin D, right? Yeah, but you don't want yeah. to get sunburned all day. Yeah, six <sighs> minutes. I mean, you're going to be outside for more than six minutes on anything you do, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So as long as you don't, you wait... In the summer months, if you get some sun exposure, okay, yeah, um, wait like six to ten minutes before you apply like sunblock. Okay, okay, because okay. um, you won't absorb it with sunblock. You won't. No. Okay. No. Um. So for someone now, let's let's look at it like this. So at noontime in Boston, for someone with um, darker skin, uh, someone with with uh, brown skin that rarely burns but will tan easily they would need 15 minutes of sun exposure gotcha okay okay so the darker the skin the more exposure you need yeah the the harder it is for your body to to the the pigmentation in your skin will actually block the uv uv rays okay um now let's look at winter time okay so in winter time uh first for a skin tone darker white but burns and tans, they would take a one hour to synthesize um, a thousand IUs of vitamin D. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. that's that's pretty significant. Yeah, yeah. And then with somebody with brown skin um, that rarely burns but tans easily, it would take two hours of sun exposure gotcha. in the winter time in Boston to synthesize a thousand IUs of vitamin Which D. Which is not going to happen because you're going to be bundled up anyway, right? And you're yeah, probably yeah. not going to be outside for that long of a period of time. Exactly. Um, interestingly enough, the researchers noted that after two p.m. in Boston in the winter time, it is impossible for even someone with like the fairest skin color to receive enough sun equal to even 400 IUs of vitamin D. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, pretty interesting stuff. I, I thought that was a neat little article. Mm. Um, lastly, I, I just kind of want to correct myself when, when Mike was talking about, you know, um, overdoing it, like water toxicity. 
Um, I think I said uh, hypernatremia. Um, I really wanted to say hyponatremia. Mm-hmm. Um, so what that is, is it's where you have um, low levels of sodium in the blood, which is caused. I mean, there's all kinds of things that could cause it. But in <clears> this <throat> case, it would be just drinking too much water. It can dilute the sodium that's in your blood mm. and cause hyponatremia. So, yeah. Right. Cool. That's pretty much all I had, man. Okay. I've got a few little things here. Um, when we were talking about what we were drinking at the beginning of the episode, I mentioned that I was drinking a Midas Touch. Yes. Didn't really expand upon that. <laughs> but in episode 10, The History of Beer Part 2, mm-hmm. which will be coming out following this episode, yes. Yes. I will go into more depth about that because I was drinking the same beer during that <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, next, um, Mike had mentioned Brad Schoenfeld. And yes. I did yeah, not yeah. know who that was, <laughs> yeah. but I didn't bother to ask during the podcast, so I, I looked it up afterwards. He is a renowned fitness expert and regarded as one of the leading authorities on body composition training and is a lifetime drug-free bodybuilder, Okay, which is pretty neat. Yeah, um, I see that he, he's authored a few books, uh, <clears throat> has his master's in exercise science and a PhD in applied physiology. And is also the president of Global Fitness Services. Mm, mm. Yeah. So uh, next up, we've got the Mickey Mantle gene. <laughs> um, James had mentioned this. This is kind of a pop culture reference to comedian Burt Kreischer, who you know says that he's got the Mickey Mantle yes. gene. He can uh, be hungover and still perform greatly, or, or come in uh, at the last minute and just you know do some crazy athletic, do some crazy, <laughs> yeah, just just push his body to limits without you know being properly prepared. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I have is the girl who drank soy sauce. <laughs> okay, um, pretty much. She drank way too well, much. Soy well, sauce. she didn't die. Okay. She did not die, which is which is good. Yeah, yeah. Kinda. So this was all part of a hoax that was going around in the internet that said if you drank a liter of soy sauce within two hours, it would rid the body of toxins. Soy sauce is high in sodium, and the idea behind the fad is that the toxins will follow the sodium as it passes through the body. This is not correct. Yeah. This is do not Terrible. do this. No, you do will not die. do this. You you will either become severely uh, hurt, or, or you, you will or, die. Or you will die. Yeah. So don't so, do that. So she didn't die, but she did suffer some um, pretty bad, uh, like brain damage type stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, don't don't drink a liter of soy sauce, please. No. Yeah. The only good thing to take out of this is uh, not all diets are legit. Some, yeah. Mo- some and probably most are all bullshit. Do your research on everything. Yeah. You don't know, believe mu- what the internet says. Multiple sources, professionals. Don't just jump into anything blind. Always do your research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wait, I got one last one. And this oh. is, I think this is the most important fact of all the facts. Oh, great. Awesome. Okay. Um, in the podcast, we were talking about um, the B vitamin that turns your urine like neon, oh, neon yes, that's yellow right. and green. Yeah. Um, it, it, to confirm, it is uh, vitamin B2. It is riboflavin. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it, it's the riboflavin um, in like your vitamin supplements. Like if you pop like James mega huge dose pills. That's right. Uh, yep. <laughs> Mountain Dew. <laughs> um, you get that Mountain Dew urine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so that can actually be hard to sort of 
gauge your hydration status if you based it off urine color. Yeah, okay. those if you're taking vitamins that could throw it off. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, don't forget to check out our new addition to the podcast, which is going to be called Last Call with Alcohol. And Mike is actually our first guest with that. And it's where, after the podcast, we have a second podcast where we kind of just shoot the shit, drink with him, have fun. It's not really technical. It's just kind of... Yeah, there's no agenda. We just no, kind of relaxed. We just have a really casual of, conversation yeah, about whatever comes up, and the yeah. beers flow. The beers flow. Yeah. The laughs are laughing. Yeah, 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 and everything else. And uh, we gotta take this. So yeah, yeah. all right. Don't Thanks forget for to listening, guys. Yeah, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and <laughs> check out our SoundCloud yes. and the phones that we're ringing right now are actually supposed to be happening. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Sausage candles.